Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is January 22nd, 2024. Welcome to episode 218 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, Venus puts on her pinstripe suit and enters Capricorn then connects with Jupiter and Saturn. A bright, sunny Leo full moon squares exuberant Jupiter. Uranus turns direct, and Mars squares the lunar nodes. Plus, I answer a listener question about lunar aspects that occurred just before you were born. Venus enters Capricorn on January 23rd, at 12.50 a.m. Pacific Time. It'll be in Capricorn through February 16th. Venus, the planet of affection, in the sign of Capricorn, is time for getting serious about relationships, about the way we handle our money. This is a great transit for creating things that will last, for making beauty part of your business. Venus will also make aspects to Jupiter and Saturn later in the week from this sign. It's not one of the most touchy-feely signs for Venus. But Capricorn is an Earth sign. And so Venus in this sign says we really appreciate the physical world. We appreciate physical beauty, the beauty of the outdoors. And also, it is a very practical and pragmatic sign. So this influences the financial side of Venus. This is a time when we might be a little more successful asking for a raise or for more responsibilities in our job. It can also be a good time for following through on any kinds of resolutions that you might have made at the beginning of the year about getting your finances in order, living within your means, living simply and investing in only those things that will last and that are really necessary in your life. Now for the moon report, and it begins with the Leo full moon on January 25th at 9.54 a.m. Pacific Time, at 5 degrees, 14 minutes, Leo and Aquarius. During Aquarius's season, the emphasis is on collaborations with others, working together in society, within groups, to make change and progress or to work toward the future. Leo contributes to that as well, but is more geared toward emphasizing our individual importance and creativity about remembering what is special about you and about celebrating here and now rather than so much projecting ahead into the future. The Sabian symbol for the moon is six degrees Leo, an old-fashioned woman and an up-to-date girl. I like this for the full moon in Leo because the sun is an Aquarius And that is very contemporary and very up-to-date. And despite appearances, Leo can actually be surprisingly traditional in some ways. 
If you think about Leo as the king or queen, there's a certain investment there in maintaining the status quo and of a hierarchy where one person is at the top and then there are different levels coming down. So Leo can, to some extent, be invested in those kinds of structures, those kind of societal structures. So although it can seem very dramatic and even theatrical, there is underneath the surface a little more of a traditional element to Leo. This is about exploring both sides, a little more traditional side and the very contemporary up-to-date side. In the full moon chart, the Leo moon is opposed the sun and Pluto in their conjunction in early Aquarius, and all of these are squared Jupiter in Taurus. Full moon times are always a little bit more dramatic. Our emotions are a little closer to the surface, maybe. And with the moon in this somewhat dramatic sign of Leo, and with the planet Jupiter involved, which tends to expand things out, make things even more so. So in this case, a little more dramatic and a little bit prone to overdoing things with this Jupiter element. So what's important to remember at this full moon is to celebrate what's unique about you, the beautiful artistic qualities you offer the world, but to rein in the unnecessary drama if you should find yourself going overboard. And if this expresses itself through the people close to you, if they're getting a little bit over the top with things, this is a time for a little bit of patience with that and waiting it out. Because usually these things will calm down a little bit a couple of days after the full moon. This is the full moon in a lunar phase family cycle that began on July 28th, 2022 with a new moon at 5 degrees, 38 minutes Leo. The first quarter in this cycle was on April 27th, 2023. So now we're at the full moon in this three-year cycle, and it's when we can really begin to see what it was that was truly initiated at that new moon in late July 2022. Because again, at the new moon, we don't always know what we're starting, what we're initiating. We might have a dim idea. But it's not until we get to the full moon that we really can begin to see the form that it's taken. Then the last quarter in this cycle will be on October 24th, 2024. That's when we'll take some final action to finalize this lunar phase family story. Let's look at the void of course moon periods for this week. On January 22nd, the moon in Gemini opposes Venus and Sagittarius at 12.40 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be void, of course, for just over 60 minutes, and then it enters Cancer at 1.51 p.m. An opposition aspect brings awareness. In this case, it's an awareness of needs and desire. The moon symbolizes our needs and our comfort zone. And Venus is a symbol of what we desire. The two are not always in sync. In order to go after something we desire, we often have to get out of our comfort zone, make ourselves a little more vulnerable, which the moon doesn't always love. So that is what this short void of course moon period is about. Perhaps there is an opportunity that presents itself to go after something that you want. 
Venus is in Sagittarius, so maybe it's something that you've never done before or a trip that you want to take or a new social situation that presents itself to you. And the moon is holding back and not really necessarily wanting to step out and go after that. So whether you act on this or not, this is a good void, of course, hour to contemplate this. Look at if there are ways in your life that this is becoming a bit of a habit for you of not really being able to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and get a little bit uncomfortable so that you can pursue things that you want. On January 24th, the moon in Cancer trines Neptune at 2.58 p.m. Pacific time. This is a pretty long void, of course, period for just about eight and a half hours until the moon enters Leo at 11.36 p.m. When we see a trine, we know that there is a reward that is coming our way. The moon in Cancer is a symbol of what we have nurtured and cared for. And the reward is of the nature of Neptune. Neptune symbolizes the most beautiful, unconditional, spiritually uplifting love and of artistry. If you are an artist or a musician or a writer, this can be an extremely beckoned period where the ideas that you've been incubating for a while are now really ready to be expressed in a beautiful way. You've got a nice long eight and a half hour period to work with this. If you have been trying to nurture relationships in your life, whether it's with family or friends or even romantic interests, this is a time when that connection with Neptune can bring about the sense that you've really been successful and now there is a much deeper sense of affection and attachment between you and these other people. And on January 26th, the moon in Leo squares Uranus at 1.19 p.m. And this begins a 21-hour, void of course, moon period, exceptionally long. The moon will enter Virgo on January 27th at 11.11 a.m. When we see a square aspect, we know there is a conflict. And this combination is a little similar to that Leo full moon opposed the sun in Aquarius. It's about being our own person and enjoying what makes us special, but how that can also come in conflict with being part of a group, being a team player. Are there ways in which you are not letting yourself express yourself fully? because you want to fit in? Or alternately, are there ways that you are so dedicated to doing your own thing and standing apart that it really is getting in the way of your being part of any kind of group or collaborating with others? This is a tendency that you can begin to let go of during this void of course moon period. On January 26th at 11.18 p.m. Pacific Time, the Sun in Aquarius squares Jupiter at 6 degrees 49 minutes Aquarius and Taurus. 
squares bring conflict. And the conflict here is between the progress and forward thinking that the sun in Aquarius emphasizes versus Jupiter in Taurus's relative need for security. Jupiter is normally a planet that is all for anything new and different and wants to throw itself out into the wild blue yonder. But while it's been in Taurus, it's just a little more cautious, especially when it comes to financial investments in things that may or may not work out. The sun in Aquarius has its eye on the future and a very clear picture of what we want that to look like. But Jupiter in Taurus wants to make sure that any investment that we make is going to pay off. A square is such an energizing aspect that probably both planets will show up around this date in a sort of exaggerated form. Stories of people who want to break the rules and move society forward in a particular way versus those who are a little more reticent and like the idea of doing something new and something different. But again, with the Taurus element there, sort of wanting to slow down and really see all the angles before committing. Just about 15 or 20 minutes later on January 26th at 11.35 p.m. Pacific Time, Uranus stations direct on the Sabian symbol 20 Taurus wind, clouds, and haste. Uranus has been retrograde since August 28, 2023, and there may be ways in which we have been internalizing Uranus's messages of change and of doing things differently. And through October 1st, while Uranus is direct, it feels like time to move forward with any new ideas, with any new directions that we want to pursue. Now, the fact that Uranus is making this station to change direction just after that sun square to Jupiter throws a little more advantage into the sun in Aquarius at that square to Jupiter. So the forces that want to promote change and progress will ultimately probably be successful and win the support of the money, the other kinds of resources that we might be asking for. Uranus' Sabian symbol, as it turns direct, wind, clouds, and haste, really speaks of moving forward very quickly with the wind at our backs. And it can be exciting, but we have to be a little bit aware on, say, January 26th and January 27th, of being careful not to move too quickly and not to make impulsive decisions that we can't take back, and even on a physical level, not to take unnecessary risks. On January 27th at 6.59 a.m. Pacific Time, Mercury makes a conjunction with Mars at 17 degrees, 17 minutes Capricorn. This is the third in a series of Mercury conjunctions with Mars. The first was on October 29th, the next on December 27th. Mercury, in combination with Mars, 
is another warning against making rash decisions, making agreements that we might later regret. It is, however, a fantastic time for mental acuity. So studying for tests, taking tests, practicing new skills. These are all really good things to do when Mercury comes together with Mars. And if there are things that you have been needing to confront with another person in your life, and you've been really reticent about it, Mercury's conjunction with Mars can help. You have to be a little careful and not overdo it and get hostile. (laughs) But it does give us the courage sometimes to overcome that reticence to say what we need to say. The next day, on January 28th at 1.06 p.m., Mercury trines Uranus. And this is an excellent aspect for opening our minds to the sudden inspiration that seems to come from nowhere. In any artistic interest you have, in anything related to your job, where you're especially trying to troubleshoot and you're trying to come up with a new idea for how to handle something. This is like lightning striking. Mercury's trying to Uranus, and in a good way. Mercury is on the Sabian symbol, 20 Capricorn, a hidden choir singing. And it's like that moment in a movie where somebody has an insight and you hear, oh, coming from the background. Uranus is still on 20 Taurus, wind, clouds, and haste. So this speaks of insights and breakthroughs on a mental level that come through quickly. you got to be ready for them. You have to be ready to write down your ideas, whatever it is you need to do to make sure you capture this lightning in a bottle. On January 27th at 10.03 p.m. Pacific Time, Venus sextiles Saturn. And this is very similar to the feeling of Venus entering Capricorn a few days earlier. It's an opportunity to build something that you love, to introduce more love and pleasure into the work that you do, a good time to organize your finances and figure out a good system for making sure throughout this new year that you know what you have, you know what you're spending, and you know what you need to save for the future. The next day on January 28th at 5.02 p.m. Pacific Time, Venus trines Jupiter, one of the more delicious aspects. Venus symbolizes pleasure, and Jupiter represents good fortune, luck, things coming our way that we want. And I believe the message here to some extent is what you love, Venus, is your treasure, Jupiter. Sometimes we spend a lot of time and attention looking outside of ourselves for luck and for fortune. And Venus represents what we already have that we love. So this is a good day for counting your blessings, for thinking, who do I have in my life that really brings me pleasure and delight? What are the possessions that I already own that I really, really enjoy? There was a lot to be said for gratitude, and there are studies that actually show that spending some time each day in gratitude 
specifically itemize things that you're grateful for can improve your overall outlook about life. Because instead of focusing on what you lack, you're focusing on what you have. And finally, on January 28th at 6.19 a.m. Pacific Time, Mars squares the lunar nodes at 18 degrees, 2 minutes Capricorn and Aries. The Sabian symbol for Mars here, 19 Capricorn, is a child of about five with a huge shopping bag. And I suppose part of the question here is, is this an empty shopping bag or is it full? and weighing this little kid down. The Sabian symbol for the North Node is 19 Aries, the magic carpet. Another question at this Mars square to the lunar nodes is, do we have to work so hard and take on quite so much? Mars and Capricorn, that young child with a huge bag, in order to find our North Node path or Shall we relax and put ourselves on that magic carpet of the North Node Sabian symbol? That approach of just letting ourselves enjoy the journey forward. It's a little hard sometimes with the North Node because it represents what we're not that comfortable with yet. And with Aries, it is about being daring and bold and being kind of a pioneer. We're not always comfortable with that especially if we feel as if we always have to be thinking of other people and what they need, which is symbolized by the South Node in Libra. But this square coming from that Mars in Capricorn says, do you want to keep working so hard? Or is there a way in which that becomes counterproductive? By giving over to faith and magic, maybe you can actually get farther along your path. This week's listener question, listener Scout asks, I was playing around with my birth date chart and noticed that if I had been born just a few hours earlier, my natal moon would have nicely aspected a few key planets. I know that the moon moves pretty fast and that there are progress charts for after you're born, but my thinking about the, quote, lost pre-birth moon aspects, unquote, is this. Couldn't that post-aspect official moon still count as connecting or aspecting in a way? It's not like I wasn't in process in those hours fighting hard to become. So my thinking is those out-of-orb moon aspects are still natally valid in my chart, even if the rules say boo. I believe they even helped me get here. I was a tough, high-risk birth. Could I have picked up that extra aspect moon juice energy, even if it was technically a few degrees out of orb, when I took my first breath? I believe yes, but you are the longtime pro. Swimming hard for La Luna, Scout. Oh, Scout, thank you for that question. Your question brings up, first of all, the issue of orbs, because you say the moon was out of orb. But if the aspects from the moon to the other planets happened 
within a few hours of your birth, they're not out of orb at all. On episode 116, I answered a listener question about planetary orbs and about how far apart planets can be from their exact aspect and still be in dialogue with one another. And in the episode description, I'll link to that episode and also to a YouTube video that I recorded about applying and separating aspects, which I think will be helpful because what you're talking about are separating aspects. That's when the faster moving planet, in this case, the moon, has recently completed its exact aspect to another planet, but it is still within orb. For the moon, I will give a very wide orb. And if you're wondering if there is still a connection between the moon and those planets, reading between the lines, it seems that you're kind of wondering whether these separating aspects are as important or compelling as the applying or approaching or exact aspects. The applying aspects are the ones in which the faster moving planet is getting closer to the exact aspect with another planet, but it hasn't quite gotten there yet. There are two things to talk about here. One is the difference between the energy of approaching and separating aspects, and the other is one of orb, which I've talked about a couple of times on the podcast. Orbs depend quite a lot on the planets involved. In the case of the moon, a few hours translates into about a degree and a half of movement. So a few hours later when you were born, the moon's separating aspects to the other key planets in your chart would still be a very strong influence. They're only about a degree away. And with certain aspects, such as a conjunction, a square, or a trine, we might give up to seven degrees orb from the exact aspect. So they can be seven degrees from each other and still be considered in a very compelling relationship. But the quality of the influence is a little bit different. Now, this is an analogy I used back on episode 116, and I'm going to go ahead and repeat it here because I think it's a pretty good one for representing this difference between the applying and separating aspects. Let's say you're preparing for a big party at your house. It's somebody's important birthday or something. You have to make the guest list, contact people, plan the menu, do the shopping, clean the house, do the cooking. It's an exhausting process and it can be stressful. This is what an applying aspect can feel like. There is a lot of energy and pressure as the aspect is building. Then the exact moment of the aspect would be the party itself. And depending on the nature of the aspect and the planets, maybe it's a good party, maybe not so much. But when it's over, you start going into the other side of the journey. You begin cleaning up the dirty dishes and glasses and napkins and setting everything up in the kitchen to be washed. But then maybe you just decide to go to bed because you're really tired. You'll deal with the dishes in the morning. When you wake up, you start doing a few things, but you can take your time. Back when I used to entertain a lot, it could be a few days before all the serving dishes were put away and all the furniture was back in its accustomed place. But gradually, things are back to normal. You're not so tired anymore. 
And maybe you can even imagine having another party someday. To me, that's what a separating aspect feels like. You're still dealing with the party, with the same issue. The same planets are in dialogue, but your feeling around it and your approach to dealing with it is quite different. If it's a difficult aspect, say the moon with Saturn or Pluto, well, this can be like the aftermath of a party that was kind of difficult to put on and where things maybe didn't go exactly as you'd liked. And you kind of have to process those feelings. In the case of the birth chart, this process goes on pretty much your whole life but you're gradually getting it cleaned up bit by bit. Separating aspects in your birth chart indicate things in the past, say during your mom's pregnancy or the delivery, or if you're inclined to think this way, maybe even past lives. Approaching aspects are ones that we work really hard with because they represent things that haven't happened yet, so you're not quite sure how it works out. Say the moon is approaching a square to Mars in your birth chart. That's a lot of emotional energy going out, an emotional conflict to be handled. And it always feels like you're trying to figure it out, trying to get the hang of it. It's like that time before the party when you feel nervous that no one's going to show up or maybe the food won't turn out well. There is uncertainty in the mix with an approaching or applying aspect. Anyway, I don't think that there's really a need to reclaim the moon's aspects in your birth chart. I'll often allow up to 10 degrees of orb with the sun or moon from an exact aspect because they are so powerful and because in the case of the moon, she moves so quickly. What's needed, I think, is just an appreciation for what makes separating aspects a little different. They are more a scar that we carry if the aspect is difficult. If anyone doubts that we're impacted by things that happened in the past, just talk to somebody who's gone through something very traumatic and you see quickly that that is a life-defining experience. That's the case with the moon's separating aspects. They're a little like ghosts or dreams or cosmic debris that cling to us, that live with us every day. We can't go back and undo them, but we sure can learn from them. Who should we not invite to that next party? Maybe try some different appetizers. Whatever it is, a separating aspect is always one that we can learn from. Scout, I sure hope that that helps. Thank you very much for the question. And if you, invisible friend, have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, just leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash bigskyastrologypodcast or email me at april at bigskyastrology.com and put podcast question in the subject line. is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice, leave a rating or review, and maybe help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts 
and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thanks very much to everyone who's shown support for the podcast over the past year and during my September Potathon. On each episode, I'm thanking some of my financial donors by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Nicole Hanna and Leanna Bennett, who both donated to the Potathon for the very first time in September. Nicole and Leanna, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you would like to support the show and receive access to my bonus episodes for the equinoxes and solstices, including my recent episode for the Capricorn solstice, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and make a contribution of $10 or more. You can make a one-time donation in any amount or become an ongoing monthly contributor. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.